In 2012, a law was passed that made it illegal for Irish girls and women to be taken out of the country to be circumcised in a practice known as female genital mutilation, or FGM. The reason? It's estimated that the community in Ireland in which the practice is most prevalent, the African community, numbers around 65,000. And upwards of 6,000 women and girls living in Ireland today have suffered FGM. Thousand women and girls living in Ireland have been subjected to FGM. ActionAid has been running a programme called The After Project since 2016. The project carries out community-based working. The Irish government moved to try and stop children from essentially having their sexual organs mutilated because there is another almost 3,000 girls who are also at risk of being taken out of Ireland for FGM. I'm a survivor of FGM. I was circumcised twice. You may have already heard of Ifra Ahmed. I decided to work with young people to educate about FGM. She came to Ireland from Somalia in 2006 to seek asylum. Ifra is determined to bring about an understanding where the practice is stopped throughout the world, including here in Ireland, when Irish children are brought back to their parents' countries to undergo FGM or are in danger of suffering the procedure here. The nurses did not understand where I come from and what I was talking about. I was a wee bit of powder, do you? You like this sort of thing? No. Over the last year, Michael O'Kane has been recording Ifra. Oh, okay, cool. You see, your foundation is perfect. It's November 2017, and Ifra Ahmed is sat smiling and laughing in the Castle Leslie Resort in Glasloch, County Monaghan. I know. You'll look at it and think. This is Ifra's base, and she's having makeup applied. Ahead of a TV appearance. Just the light. It's a tiny bit more. TV makeup totally different, silly, but it'll be fine on camera. <laughs> Radio makeup is very complicated. It, no, it's not. It's very easy. You can wear whatever, and you just talk. Nobody sees you. I was just wondering, would that be that? Okay, that, just put it, and then we can put little. Uh, the, I have the duck on this. In 2006, as asylum seekers. I went to the asylum seekers as Somalis been war more than 30 years. So I was given refugee status in Ireland. And I remember when I went to do smear test, which I never know what it was. When the nurse tried to do the test, they were shocked. And the lady was asking me, how do you get injured in your private area? And then I have to explain. And I was very shy because there was a man behind the curtain that I have to explain. And, when I went back to the hostel where I was staying with other 17 asylum seekers, I asked the same question that I was asked. And then one of young women from Guinea-Bissau, she explained to me that she gone through female genital mutilation and she was circumcised with broken glass. Ifra grew up in the Somali capital, Mogadishu. Here, Islam is the most common religion, and while the country has a long association with FGM, many Muslim scholars say the practice is un-Islamic. I have seen it, how young girls are still practice on FGM. I've seen young girls who die for bleeding. Ifra suffered FGM when she was just eight years old, along with nine other girls, one of whom bled to death and Ifra still finds it extremely difficult to talk about what happened that day. When I came to Ireland, 
the first thing I remember is that the lady who was actually interviewing me saying, look, you're in a safe country, you have a voice, you can talk and you can say what is right and what's not. Ifra's voice is just one of nearly 6,000, from Wexford to Westport, and her experience is very like another Irish-based survivor. We are in Port Arrington, beautiful town, in my home. I live here with my two beautiful boys, Paul and Nathan, and we love it. It's very quiet. This is Meherit Yamani Abdigergish. Like Ifra, she fled to Ireland in 2006, but from Eritrea via Sudan in East Africa, where the rate of FGM is over 90%. The older I get, the more I'm finding out, like, how affected I am. Mine was done by a woman who was related to my sister's husband. It was done four times. The last two I remember, the first two I don't remember because I was very young, and it was done with my two sisters. And then the last one, I was between nine and ten, and it was done with my youngest sister, actually the same time, you know. I don't know, the woman kept saying that, you know, the last time she didn't do a good job. You know, she left something and... My last one I remember very vividly. You know it was going to happen and... Yes, I did, because they say, oh, you're going to get circumcised with your younger sister. I remember my brothers held me with my legs and my mother was there. And the woman, she took this blade. She used the same blade for me and my sister because we were there side by side. And then they let you go, but you have to leave your legs open for a few days. And you'll be outside in the bed. They will wash you with salt and warm water as well to help with the process of healing because there's no antibiotics and there was no anesthetic, you know. So what happened was she came early in the morning because you're supposed to, to do it early before the sun comes out. Sorry. Sorry. I was cut first because they want to make sure, like, my sister felt brave, you know. But they, like, they said to her, oh, you know, come on, your sister can do it, and she's already done it, you know. What age were you then, both? Uh, she was, she would have been around maybe four. I'm trying to highlight as well. My mother was married at 11. She was a shepherd. She did give us a better life than she did, she had. Even though, like, those brothers who held me down, they have girls now. Like, I have nieces now. They didn't go through what I went through. I know they were not happy, like I said, oh, they held me down, but they did, you know. But I can't blame them. They didn't why, know. Why did, why did they hold you down? Because you're not going to let anybody butcher you. Like, But my mother wouldn't be strong enough to hold me down. So the brothers have to, you know. It's normally you try to find somebody to hold down the child because somebody has a blade in their hand and they're trying to cut you. You're not going to say, here, come on, you know, cut me, you know. But as a child, you're going to scream and you're going to, and they'll be afraid that they will cut an artery or something that, you know, that could, they couldn't stop it. 
It was a normal thing, like being having a communion, having a christening and stuff. Like it was part of a tradition. In Sudan, it's a celebration. You know, they put henna on your hands, on your feet, and they invite your friends. They make like a party of it for a week at least. Sudan would be one of the countries with the highest FGM because it is part of the religion and culture. Girls go through FGM as young as two weeks old, but they try to do it quick. As a father of eight-year-old yourself, if you say to her, oh, this is the right thing to do, she do it for you, you know? I used to be that little girl, you know? And I, I was actually my daddy's girl. <laughs> my dad loved me, I loved him so much, and people think I'm the youngest. I'm number eight, not even the youngest, you know? I ask Merit why it's done. Well, from what I've learned about it, like, you know, like growing up, a girl is less promiscuous, you know, and she'll be able to marry well. And it just, like, give you purity, like, stay pure. We're joined in studio this morning by Ifra Ahmed. Ifra answered the same question on RTE Radio. Um, when we talk to the family, they say that it's something that's been going on generation to generation. And I remember asking my grandmother why did she cut me after I got my Irish passport, went back to Somalia. And the only answer I got was that because it was happened to her and it happened to my mother and my aunties and... Of course, we have to go through. FGM is enforced in many African countries by militant Islamic groups. But in Ireland, Ivra Ahmed was shocked to discover opposition to her speaking out here. And they say this is our culture and I shouldn't be speaking. The community were against me. I felt I caused trouble and I, I was not welcome. Ifra realised that despite being on the other side of the world, speaking out still brought threats from her own community. And they said they will kill me. They will say a lot of things. On top of that, Ifra says her efforts to highlight FGM were initially ignored by the Gardaí. I went to the police station complaining. They said, why don't you leave it the, the things that they practice? Let them practice. That's what the policeman said. He said, don't talk about their culture. It's just leave it. So they will leave you not to text you or call you or whatever. April 2018, and Michael is in London to meet an anti-FGM campaigner who also happens to be his sister, journalist Maggie O'Kane. Will you just send me that tweet? Yeah, I'll send you the tweet. And I'll actually send it to like somebody like Julie in uh, business. Within our organisation, I talk a lot. <laughs> Maggie's working alongside close friend and journalist Mary Carlson. Yeah, has anybody got her volume switch or she leaves the desk after 45 minutes and I know it's got too much? 500,000 almost looks more shocking when you see it done. So 500,000 at risk in the US. Yeah, yeah, no, agreed. They are running a global media campaign which will support Aoife's goal to end FGM. Um, half a million US girls. If you ask about our working relationship, Maggie is the vision, the ideas and the foreign correspondent, as we call her, because she doesn't see any possible obstacles to what she wants to do. And the consequence of that is that she always finds a solution. 
And I would sort of do the media end. Um, half, half a million, million US girls at risk. risk. And because Ifra persisted in highlighting the dangers of FGM for young Irish girls, she caught the attention of Maggie. Maggie and Mary have been training Ifra to use her iPhone to record and edit videos when she returns to Somalia. I'm here to protect the young girls who are born and raised in Ireland. And then when I watch on the news and I see images of young girls in Somalia in IDBs who are dying for kidney failure and who are dying for bleeding during the procedure, I felt that I really should go back. Then, in early summer 2018, news emerged of a death from FGM in Ifra's home country. The Guardian, Friday, July 20th, 2018. A 10-year-old girl has died after undergoing female genital mutilation in Somalia. Deka Dahir Nuor was taken... Deka Dahir Nuor was the second youngest of four sisters and lived with her mother and father in a small, isolated village in rural Somalia. ...taken on the 14th of July to a traditional cutter in the village of Alol. But the operation severed a vein. When the family were unable to stem the hemorrhaging, Deca was taken to a nearby hospital where she bled to death. Maggie and Mary know if Deca's tragic death is highlighted in East Africa, it will deter parents from carrying out FGM on their daughters. One person who can highlight Deca's death is Irishwoman Ifra Ahmed. And, as it happens, she's actually in East Africa at the time. But while this sounds like good fortune for Maggie and Mary's campaign to have somebody there, it's actually quite a dangerous situation for Ifra. Children were among those killed and injured as a nearby school collapsed. Previously, Ifra was lucky not to have been killed in a hotel bombing in Mogadishu. Before the ambulances and the paramedics reached there, and the whole scene was very ugly. Every day is a problem because I, I had a dinner with someone or I, I had a lunch with some groups or I meet with some politician. Next day, that person being killed. And every day, I, I had a fear that you will be next because that is the only way we survive because you have to know where you go, you have to know who you meet, you have to know who you talk to. Al-Shabaab, they don't care if you are, as long as you are European citizen, you're activist or you're politician, they don't care. They're just going to kill you. As well as the dangers from terrorist attacks, according to Mary Carson, Ifra's campaigning work can also put her family at risk. Because of the nature of her work, in Somalia and the delicacies around doing anything that interferes with what are cultural traditions. She can't go openly to see her family and her father. If she does, she has to go in undercover. She goes there rarely, not because they don't want to see each other or that her father doesn't support what she's doing, he does. But by going there, if they can't get at her, the potential is that they'll get at her family. Mary and Maggie are fully aware that these cultural traditions are long held, but are also distressing to those carrying them out. You know, you look at the pictures and you see this completely isolated nomadic tent. These are nomadic families who have nothing. A mother who's beside herself with grief, but who thinks it was the right thing to do to cut her child because that's just what's done. They believe if they don't cut their daughter, that they might not get the bride price. 
family believe if they don't cut the daughter, no man will marry her because she's not a virgin. And as for my own daughters, I, the idea that somebody could take take a razor to them and that I as a mother would think that that's the best thing to do for them and to do it with love because I think so many of these children are cut with love because the mothers think they'll not get married otherwise. Tuesday was International Day of Zero Tolerance for Female Genital Mutilation, which is defined... And in the Islamic community itself, there's no unity over the issue of FGM. One of Ireland's leading Muslim clerics, Dr Ali Salem, defends the practice on RTE's TV flagship current affairs show, Primetime. Well, <clears throat> I'm not an advocate of uh, female uh, genital mutilation, but I am an advocate of female circumcision. So what medical reason would justify what you refer to as female circumcision and most people would refer to as female genital mutilation? Well, the same medical reason that would justify male uh, circumcision. With male circumcision, which can reduce the risk of infection, the organ is not fundamentally changed. With female circumcision, it's drastically altered. People by nature are different. People's organs are different. What one person needs <coughs> is not necessarily needed by another person. And it should be determined by a doctor. So what is wrong with that? Welcome back. The Islamic Centre of Ireland... Has... This appearance on RTE television led to the Islamic Centre of Ireland declaring a fatwa. The religious ruling, which can be made by any Islamic leader... Follows... They announced an outright ban on FGM in Ireland, describing it as forbidden and sinful. Dr Salim later apologised for his comments. He said that because he is not a native English speaker or a medical person, he misunderstood the term circumcision. Campaigners also point out that FGM is not exclusive to the Islamic community. In Nigeria, for example, more Christians carry out FGM on their daughters than Muslims do. But in Cork, where a pilot scheme is being run by ActionAid to support migrant women and girls and their communities in rejecting FGM, I spoke with medical professionals who are discovering that the effects of the practice continue to cause problems in Ireland as women go through their lives. That's because for some girls, the ceremony of genital mutilation doesn't just involve being cut. They're also crudely sewn up afterwards. You know, they tend to get kidney infections. Sometimes they can't even have their periods because everything gets blocked. And then when they do go on to have intercourse, it's incredibly hard the first time and then really painful afterwards. I think that's part of the process is so that they won't enjoy intercourse. When it comes to childbirth, what we need to do is open the tissues to allow childbirth and acknowledge that for a lot of these women, childbirth may not be possible and that a cesarean section is required. My name is Dr. Marie Rudin and I'm a consultant obstetrician and gynaecologist. Obviously they've come from a culture where this is normal and now they've come to our culture where we're telling them that this is awful. The experience of childbirth Mairead is talking about is something Meheret, the Eritrean woman from Port Arlington, can relate to. I went for labour. They put me in a bed and I was screaming everything. They don't let anybody in. Yeah. And then she came to check on me. No IV, nothing. Like they don't. And I was screaming. And when I walked to the delivery, Paul was actually, his head was here between my legs, you know. 
So I wa when I went to the delivery, they cut me to take Paul out, you know? And it, he actually damaged my pelvic floor. I walked, let's say, from here to the end of the garden, then they had to stitch me and everything. But the woman, she said to me, oh, I'm trying to stitch you to make it nice and tight for your husband. I said, do you think I care about what my husband thinks about my vagina at this moment, you know? Meharat also explains that women who endure FGM often lose the ability to enjoy a healthy sex life. There is no such thing like orgasm or... But I always, for me, I thought sex was like, okay, you know, we sleep with a man, he finishes, and that's it. Like, you know, it was not like, you know, about my need or... But that's how I was brought up, you know. Before, it was like, made me feel like less of a woman. I said, I don't have these things, you know, that makes a woman, you know, have the ultimate satisfaction. But now I'm trying to find ways of, with what I've got, to experience it. But it's better late than never. <laughs> because at least I know how to cope. Like, that's why I, just, I try to be on my own, you know. Because on your own, it... You can't blame anybody, you can't expect anybody, you know. But, um, but there's technology now, you know. <laughs> At least it doesn't talk back to you. <laughs> more and more, Irish medical staff recognise a duty of care to vulnerable girls. One of the other things we need to be concerned about is obviously is their offspring and their children and we're hugely conscious that women bring their daughters home to wherever that may be but that they also bring them to either local people in Ireland and I haven't heard of it happening in Ireland but definitely have heard of it happening in the UK where girls have been cut. While it's possible to detect FGM issues in hospital, it's nearly impossible to monitor girls being taken out of the country through Irish airports. Their security can check for drugs and weapons, but not for girls about to undergo FGM. I mean, I think the most important thing is that these women are supported. Mareda Reardon again. There's not only our patients' country, but there's also ours, and often we can be very slow to ask the hard question, you know. For what women, is that question? You know, have you been cut? And we know that that's not happening. You know, not even half of the medical population aren't asking that very difficult question, and that we ensure that their daughters don't end up getting cut. I mean, if we can do that much within our own country, I think that would be a hugely important first step. For Maggie and Mary, these are small steps, but important ones in terms of sending a message about FGM. There will probably be hundreds and maybe thousands of people who will decide not to cut their kids. This group of women who before had no power are now, are now part of a community that can actually access grants, access people like us, the Global Media Campaign, and say, this is what we need, this is the message we're going to give, and this is how we're going to end FGM. So things are going to really pick up as long as people like Ifra get backed. Ifra has been working with Maggie and Mary for about three years. In that time, she's travelled extensively on the campaign trail with them. In this case, to an international women's conference in Brussels. And, I mean, it's a very wealthy forum of very middle-class, educated, middle-aged white women like me. <laughs> My actual hearing isn't great. I have a slight problem with hearing. Oh, OK. So, but I'm, I'm trying, that's why I'm focusing so much. Oh, yeah. 
And Maggie watches on as if for a cost of visiting Irish minister, David Staunton. No, what I'm saying is that in Ireland we had integration centre, but during the crisis it was closed down. An integration centre? Yes, yes, yes. OK. There is no more integration centres. OK. Which is needed because we were doing a lot of work with young people from different nationalities. So maybe what, what, what we should do is meet in Dublin okay. and sit down and discuss this. Yeah. And and see what the needs are and how we can best address them. Yeah, because... So can I invite you to come to Dublin and meet with me? Yes, I Please. will. And while Ifra is bending the ear of the minister, Aggie steps outside and reflects on the campaign. Some of the great campaigners, maybe many of them, are people who really suffered. You know, and Ifra has really suffered. And um, she's just dedicated her life to this. So I was sharing a room with her in the hotel because these hotels are really expensive in Brussels. And so the two of us were there in the bed this morning, both of us with our laptops, and Ifra's there going, she's got two phones and one's ringing saying, yeah, we have to get these religious leaders on board. And then somebody else is texting saying, I'm sharing it on Twitter that you're doing something else in Somaliland. And, and it was like, she lives this day in, day out. I mean, anytime you want to get Ifra, you just text, send her a text and she's back in you know, 30 seconds. Whereas, you know, most, most normal human beings kind of say, I can't take this anymore. I have to switch everything off for the weekend. Whereas Ifra never stops. Mm. I think it's her way of dealing with her, her trauma. Ifra's trauma drives her to campaign against FGM in Africa and in Ireland where the FGM problem is hidden and not spoken about. It's not even under the carpet. It's so underground, it's just not happening. And it is happening, of course. This is Dola Toomey. She works at the Sexual Violence Clinic in Cork. If somebody comes from a family, a village, a country where cutting is the norm, um, Travelling to another country is not going to change that belief system, that culture travels. Maybe it even intensifies. As well as the hidden nature of the practice, Dola says, a big obstacle to tackling FGM is a lack of full understanding of the practice amongst health professionals here. This makes it harder to identify young girls who are at risk of being taken out of Ireland to undergo FGM. You have thousands of children going back to school. Some of them will have been away for the summer. Some will have been in holiday resorts where they were playing in the sea and all that kind of things. Others will have traveled a little further afield. And the purpose of that travel wasn't a holiday. The purpose of that travel would have been to either return to a place or go to a place for their cutting ceremony, essentially FGM. They will have returned to here in Ireland, to the schools in Ireland, and to all intents and purposes, nothing out of the ordinary will have happened to them. And I remember as a kid, one of the big dreads of going back to school from my youngest age was you'd always have to write an essay, what I did on my summer holidays. Well, there's children in this country who, if they had to write that essay, that is the essay they could write. The summer I was caught. It is now August 2018, and both Maggie and Mary are waiting to hear from Ifra in Somalia. She has managed to meet with the family of Decca, the 10-year-old Somali girl who had bled to death. The girl was taken by 
her mother to a traditional circumciser on July 14. With the training she has had from Maggie and Mary, Ifra has recorded a short film of Decca's story, which she has managed to get back to Maggie. That's the nurse saying she was bleeding critically and she'd gone through the worst type of FGM. We couldn't stop the bleeding. FGM graduates who started to tweet about the fact that this girl had bled to death and turned it into a news story. Ifra then seized the moment and said, right, I'm going to get on a plane. I am going to get a cameraman. We can support her. She flew to a very dangerous place where you could only access by plane and put together this really tragic account of one little girl's death. And it's a 30-second trailer which is basically telling the story of how Ifra's gone in search of Decca. And already, awareness of the tragic case is having an impact. One chief in Gwalgamud, which is where Decca's from, has already publicly denounced FGM, which is the first time that's happened. Decca's grandmother says, no more, it has to end. And there's a debate on, in Somali going on on Facebook. The story of Decca should become an iconic moment in the fight against FGM in Somalia. So what Ifra did was took the footage, went back, got an editor, got a producer together, contacted the TV stations. Ifra knows that this report, when it's broadcast, will change the way women think about FGM. It'll be worth the risk she took in returning to Somalia. So it's all going out now simultaneously. Three minutes on the news about DECA and then a 12 minutes short documentary followed by a live broadcast in the studio on Somali TV. You know, DECA needs to be one of those sort of, you know, Anne Lovett stories in an Irish context or the Kerry babies. It just needs to be a moment that says this really has to end. Hello? Hello, Maggie. Maggie, one second, one second. I'm talking to the national TV. Oh, my God. The TV stations are all set to broadcast the report. But then Ifra calls Maggie. Yes. There's a problem. But the thing is, what's the threat? Is the threat somebody, people are angry with you because of the work or or of kidnapping? Or what's the threat? Only problem I, I concern now is that Al-Shabaab. I am not scared anyone else. On this occasion, though, Ifra doesn't have to contend with the Islamic extremist group Al-Shabaab but an opportunistic TV executive. And he said that uh, it's longer, we cannot broadcast. I said to him, what you say, what's your problem? He said, I should add $200. I told him I will add 100 so just do it. <laughs> so... Ifra, Maggie and Mary successfully get Decca's story to air across six channels in East Africa, where it's seen by millions of women. And all government, they watch and they listen. Amazing. People are actually saying, stay strong, you will reach one day where FGM is over. The whole country is aware of it, but uh, we are doing only to push to media, you know? Yeah, well, what do you mean the whole country's aware of it? Because, you know, a uh, lot of people, journalists, religious leaders, some of the members of parliament, everyone calls me and they say that I'm doing great work and I should keep it up. And they say, your message is important. Oh, that's fantastic. That's really fantastic. 
as a journalist, sometimes you think you're, it's completely useless what we do and you despair. Um, and I have felt that at times. But to be involved in something that can be so impactful as that. So um, that's why I do it. And it's also I'm surrounded by amazing people like Ifra. It's a very exciting job to do. Coincidentally, around the same time, Maggie and Mary learned that there are changes in the prevalence of FGM. The Guardian, November 6, 2018. FGM rates in East Africa dropped from 71% to 8% in 20 years. The number of girls undergoing female genital mutilation has fallen dramatically in East Africa over the past two decades, according to a study published in BMJ Global Health. Despite this, girls continue to die in Ifra's home country, Somalia. Even in the last 40 minutes, more than 400 women and girls around the world have undergone FGM. However, awareness is growing in Ireland, where, among other things, an FGM information guide is being rolled out for teachers. And in Cork. The Minister of Met in Brussels, David Stanton, is speaking at a ceremony. Of course, you've just, what you've completed is hugely important. It has provided you with the skills to tackle these deep-rooted questions. Students are graduating from a pilot scheme to raise FGM awareness. It's been run by ActionAid. We enjoyed our classes, we loved it. Most, if not all, are from direct provision centres, such as Miriam, who's 14. So I ask everyone here to help us fight FGM and help us so that we can stop it to become a cultural practice. This message, though expressed in front of a small audience, is something that has resonance throughout Ireland. And in Merritt's Port Arlington home, she sees it as a unifying human rights issue. There is good things, a lot of people, like a lot of positive, but for me, I'm not doing it for anybody's comment. You know, and I want everybody, every woman out there who experiences it out of the nearly 4,000 women living in Ireland to say, stops with me, can't let that happen. But I'll be living in Ireland here for more years, you know, and I don't want my grandchildren, great-grandchildren or anybody to go through it, you know. Probably that's the, by aim, that's my goal. Ifra and Maggie are in another airport about to make another visit to an African country where FGM is still practiced on little girls. We were doing the global media campaign training with the religious leaders and the journalists. Maggie and Ifra have an interesting relationship. Maggie has been a campaigning journalist all her life. Ifra is a campaigner who's learning journalistic skills. They're both driven women who have the end of FGM in their sights. What they achieved or what actually... Their relationship is mainly professional, but sitting, waiting in a small regional airport in Somalia, they begin to have a conversation they've never had before. What's the sunna type? Sunna is like uh, the cutting little, so... Just off the top of the clitoris? Yeah, it's... As opposed to taking off... 
can explain what it is. No, it's it, it's very hard for me to explain because you know I don't want it to. I feel shy to say it. It's good. I swear I do. Okay. Sunnah it means that they cut little the top of the clitoris because they believe that if they cut little the top of the clitoris the girl is clean, which is not true. And uh, it's very hard because. I am not stay, I am not still strong enough to explain my private area that much. Okay, okay. Because of what happened to you, it's, you know, it's what happened to me, and also I feel like I, I'm telling everyone that how I was cut and how how I was so. So I want to end the FGM, but uh, I always try to end the FGM in a way I can tell everyone. But for me to tell them how I was holding how everything was cut and then sew it back, it's a little bit... Uh... So still, uh, all this time, you're making, people are making a film, you've talked about it before, you still find it really hard to speak about it? Yeah, really, it's, a, it's my body, and uh, nobody has ever actually asked me how it's... What happened, okay. People ask, but I, I went in different ways answering, so... Because I did not decide to have FGM, and it's very bad, and it, it's, a, it's a terrible thing. And I really hate when I actually wash myself, or when I look at myself, I hate so much. So that's why I keep it myself. But I won't fight for, I won't end the FGM, because I don't want every woman to look at like that and feel this shame. And, and so when the top... Oh, God, here's the plan. Oh, no, our plane. Oh, no. And then quickly, it was back to the current reality. The flight had been called, and they were about to miss it. Oh, oh. Oh my God, we're nearly missing the plane. We're just running back. 